All right, First John chapter 4. First John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. We're going to title this message, Testing, Testing, 1, 2, 3. Because, you'll see very quickly, we need to do some testing. First John chapter 4, verses 1 through, I think I said 1 through 6, right? Did I say 1 through 6, or did I say 1 through 3? It's 1 through 6, okay. First John chapter 4, let's begin in verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, this uh, message is going to be primarily for those who, who are already saved, okay, saved people, people washing the blood of Jesus for the, for the forgiveness of their sins, people who already belong to God, and, and, and that is so that we, um, essentially, it's, it's to us to know how to test what we hear. Being the people of God means that we are a people who love God and we love one another. That's the two, uh, two greatest commandments uh, through the book of First John so far. That has been our chief distinguishing characteristic, uh, that we love God and we love one another. God has loved us uh, so much, and, 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 and being his children means that we love him in return. It also means that we love other believers. We can't get away from that. Now, we live... Uh, in the midst of an epidemic of, of, of information overload. Um, we are bombarded by information. But it also includes spiritual information. Um, how do we sort all of this out? How can believers tell those who are truly doctrinally correct from those who falsely claim that the spirit of truth is in them. Well, the problem wasn't new. Okay, this isn't a new issue. There were false prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, there were false teachers in the New Testament. Uh, so John's not dealing with something new. He's dealing with something that's been around for quite some time. Now, in order for us to figure out what John's talking about, it's going to help us uh, kind of remember what the context is here. John's writing to a church who's facing some difficult opposition from people that had been a part of the church, uh, but they had come to some very different conclusions about who Jesus is and what it meant to be a Christian. They had left the church, but they were still, they were still exerting influence in the church. In, in chapter 2, John writes in verse 18, Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, hereby we know that it is the last time. 
He says in verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. And he continues in that verse, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. In chapter 2, verse 22, it says, Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. And then in verse 26 of chapter 2, These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. Now here in chapter 4, he turns, uh, really returns to this issue to help prepare them how to face this opposition. We see in verse 1, the uh, the testing of the spirits it says beloved believe not every spirit but try the spirits whether they are of god because many false prophets are gone out into the world sometimes um, we equate faith with mindless acquiescence we think that taking something by faith means that that there's an absence of proof or sometimes we, we you know, take something by faith in spite of the evidence. But that may be sometimes a small part of it, but it's really missing the foundation. The foundation of our faith is truth. It's the truth of the word of God. Faith is not about shutting off our brains and then blindly accepting or mindlessly believing anything. Faith is based on a bedrock of truth about who God is, about who Jesus is, uh, who we are as children of God and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, how we are to live in a world as ambassadors for Christ, and then having faith in those truths for the needs and the trials of the very moments we face day by day. That's the kind of faith that, that, that John is calling us to here where he says, believe not every spirit. Try the spirits to see whether they're of God or not, because there's a lot of false prophets out there. John is saying, don't be naive. Don't mindlessly accept what you hear, and don't believe everything you see. Test it. Check it out. Dig a little deeper. Make sure in our culture, this is especially important because of really all the messages from all the different sources that we get, uh, from the news that we see or we, re- or we read about, the, the promises of advertisers. They all come from an underlying worldview and, 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 and from a place where they are hoping to get us to respond in a certain way. And if you read about uh, the same situation in, in one newspaper and then you read it in another, uh, or, or you watch Fox News and CNN coverage of, of the same story, you, you're going to see different, different perspectives. How do you know which one of those is true? Now, I don't want to pick on journalists necessarily because advertisers are way worse, right? I mean, talk about fake news. You've seen a commercial lately, Right? Even in a sermon, we need to recognize that as you listen, you are responsible to test what you hear. So how do we test a spirit here? I know how to test a battery. Pull out my little voltage meter, turn it to the right setting. And, and you know, it's okay if you turn it to... Uh, too high a setting to test a low voltage, but you don't want to have it on a low voltage to test a high voltage. I've done that. The meter doesn't like it. And I, 
don't have the heart to throw it away, but you know, it just doesn't work now. There's little burnt pieces inside. I know how to test the adjustment on my table saw. You run a scrap piece of wood through, make, you know, I can, I can do that, but I even know how to test an idea. You know, I can, I can gather people around me who understand the situation and say, how, well, what do you think about this? But how do you test a spirit? We need to know, I guess, first what a spirit is in order to test it, right? Verse 1 says, believe not. The way that's set up, it means stop believing every spirit. Stop, uh, it, it's, it, it's forbidding a continuing action. Uh, some of them were already being carried away by the error of the Gnostics, and they weren't measuring what they heard by the truth that they already knew. Every spirit here means every person thinking they have a message from God. There had been before real communication with the Holy Spirit of God. So, as things go, there were pretenders that say they had also heard from this Holy Spirit of God. So these spirits are human beings that are actuated either by demonic forces or God the Holy Spirit. And in this case, they would be you know, teachers, pastors, evangelists who circulated around the local churches. Now, the word try, try the spirits, it's, it's, it's to put to the test for the purpose of approving. And it's trying to find that person, uh, trying to get them to meet the specific uh, uh, specifications laid down. What this means is that, that, that for a teacher, uh, they weren't put to the test for the purpose of condemning them, but they were put to the test with the intent of trying to approve them. So this person was not to be treated as a heretic before he had shown himself to be one. It's a very much innocent until proven guilty. It's right until proven wrong. There was a hopeful optimism about the testing here. We want them to pass and we're disappointed when they fail. But everyone who says they speak for God must be tested. Look at verses 2 and 3. How, 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 how do we do this? Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist wherever you've heard that, he, that it should come and even now already is in the world. Now, as plain as it sounds, this, this is just a little bit tricky. Let's, let's first agree with what John is not saying. He is not saying we need to have you know, actual conversations with a bunch of supernatural spirits. I think we've established that. Uh, we don't ask, ask them what they think about Jesus. That would be unhealthy, to say the least, right? Every spirit is every teacher, every person claiming that they have a message from God. So every teacher who is in agreement with Scripture that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, that, that passes the test. Now, now, John is talking about us testing the things that other people say. That's obvious from verse 1 because he includes the false prophets, right? The false teachers. By looking beneath the words, we see whether the spirit in which they are said is either the spirit of truth or the spirit of falsehood. John does not mean that simply speaking the words 
Jesus has come in the flesh, that that automatically means that we need to accept whatever comes. Them just you know, blurting out that mantra, there's more to it than that. When they confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, they are acknowledging it. And it means that they acknowledge it in their words, they acknowledge it in their life, they acknowledge it in their character, they acknowledge it in their obedience, believing and living that Jesus Christ had come in the flesh, accepting and living the body of truth revealed in Scripture. That's what it means to confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. So if it's not just saying the words, then it's living those words. According to John here, the acknowledging, confessing that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that, that's the test. Jesus Christ himself is the test. Let me go over a little bit of doctrine here so this can make some sense. And I hope that you'll see how relevant it is for us right now. What, what do we believe? What do we believe about Jesus Christ? What is the heart of John's test? And, and really, this is a critical question when you're witnessing to somebody. It's, 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 it's critical in our evangelism context. Who is Jesus Christ? Is he just a historical figure? Is he a good man? Is he a moral teacher? Just that, if that's all he is, that doesn't pass the test of Christ coming in the flesh. Did he... He did not just seem human. He came in the flesh, 100% God, 100% man. That he had flesh implies that his death for us was real. It was a real death. And if it was a real death, then it is a real salvation. To deny the reality of his flesh is to deny the reality of his death and is to deny the reality of his love for us. Was Jesus just an ordinary man like the rest of us who was filled with the Spirit of God probably at his baptism and so became the Christ and then had the Spirit leave him before his death on the cross, which is what the Gnostics were believing then? Again, that doesn't measure up to John's test of acknowledging that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, which recognizes really that Jesus existed with God prior to being born in humanity. See, it's important uh, that we really know what we believe about Jesus and, and that we affirm that Jesus is fully God and fully man. For John, that is the measure. That is how we test these spirits. And from this verse, though, we're not supposed to think that this is the only one. This isn't the only test for orthodoxy, but it is a major one, and here it's the one that was most necessary to fight these errors that John was dealing with. From all of this, it follows that the statement speaks of, of the God of the Old Testament, who in the person of his Son became incarnate in human flesh that he was without sin, 
that he died on the cross to satisfy the just demands of God's law, which man broke, and he raised himself from the dead in the body in which he died to become the living savior of the sinner who places his faith in him because of what he did for him on the cross. The person that teaches that, John says, is actuated by the Holy Spirit of God. Likewise, a teacher who does not agree to that doctrine is not of God and should not be listened to. Now, whatever the error, the false teachers were claiming the authority of inspiration for it, uh, as, as do some cults today. They think they hear from God. Uh, John doesn't deny the reality of inspiration, but what he denies is that the inspiration came from the Holy Spirit of God. They were inspired by something, but it wasn't God. You could say they were inspired by unholy spirits, We know that because it contradicted the word of God. Now, how does it work? Let me give you a couple of examples. Um, I use the internet quite a bit for sermon research because there's a great deal of insight and it saves buying a lot of books because they're all online mostly and I can look at them for free and not have to buy a lot of books, right? But I'm very aware of uh, John's instruction that whenever I do that, um, because I know there's there's a lot of false teaching out there. I mean, it's internet's like money, I guess. It's it it depends on how you use it as to whether it's going to be good or bad. I I've got a formal education. I'm thankful that God provided that for me. Did a good job of teaching me how to recognize these things especially when things are off so when you're there by all means you test the spirits i mean we know right not to get our doctrine from facebook right okay we know not to believe everyone who calls himself uh, a bible teacher right okay the second example moves our discussion from testing to see the orthodoxy of teaching into discerning what God might be saying in a particular situation for you today. In John's context, it's pretty obvious that the people in the church were making statements about or, or with or, or through prophecy. Now, prophecy can be two things. It can be uh, forth-telling, that's proclaiming truth already known, and it can be foretelling that's revealing truth unknown to that point. All right? So it's proclaiming truth or stating previously unknown truth. We're okay with foretelling, proclaiming truth that is already known. Foretelling along with the other sign gifts, those that's, that's done. Now here, here's where it gets interesting. Assuming we believe God still speaks to us today through his Holy Spirit and his word, which will never, let me say again, never contradict each other. And I hope we all agree on that. And assuming next that we don't want to restrict the ways in which God can lead today by believing that he might only lead through a sermon or through your Bible reading, But, and this is a big but, realizing that we are fickle and we are fallible human beings, we are gullible, 
We are easily led by our emotions because our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. We have a potential problem. When someone says they are relaying a message from God, how do we know if it's from God or not? Again, we test it. The first test that John has for us here, test number one, does it come from someone whose heart or spirit, to to use John's language, we know? If my pastor in Missouri that that I've known for a very long time tells me that he thinks God may be saying something, I'm going to listen to him because I know his heart. I know his spirit acknowledges Jesus Christ come in the flesh and that he seeks to live his life consistent with that profession. So I trust him. I'm still going to examine it in light of the word of God, but I trust him. So I'm at the coffee shop this week and a local pastor that I've only met a couple of times comes up and, and he says the same thing, I'm going to be a little more weary about that. I may still be open to hear what he has to say, but I'm definitely going to check it against what the Word of God says. Now, if I'm in uh, the line at Safeway buying ice cream for Becky and I, um, and a perfect stranger in that line comes up and says, Hi, God wants you to know. All right. I'm going to be uh, quite a bit more wary. Maybe not completely dismissive, but I'm going to be very, very cautious. And I'm absolutely going to check what he says against the word of God. And that brings us to test number two. Does the message agree with our only objective standard, which is Scripture? Is it in line with our only rule of faith and practice? Now, this test is second only because we have to hear the message before we can compare the message to Scripture. Uh, It's second, but it's most important. If that Safeway stranger says, Hi, God wants you to divorce your wife so that you have more time to serve him, it goes in the trash. Because if it contradicts God, it cannot be from God. Right? If it contradicts God, it cannot be from God. One more time. If it contradicts God, it cannot be from God. God. Test number three. Does this message agree with the things that God has been leading you toward already? I believe that God will have prepared us for his leading or we, he will have, have heard our request, re, requests for guidance, for uh, encouragement, for wisdom, uh, for discernment. Or he will have seen the things that we're struggling with. So I believe that most often the leadings we get, if they're truly from God, will be in agreement with the things that God has already been saying uh, from his word and from his reliable, solid, wise, mature people. Not from the flakes, but from the solid rock Christians. See, verse 5 says that the message was not of the truth because 
it's of the world and it's out of the world as a source that they speak the source of their false doctrine is the world and and that means that the the demonic forces are part of the world system and the source of all heresy the source of all false teaching then would be that once again john repeats the 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 phrase world at the end of verse four it occurs three times in verse five see it is with the world that john's opponents these these false teachers were associated uh, they're from it they speak from its point of view and it forms their audience which is not us we should listen to nothing that the world has to say concerning the things of god again we don't get our theology from Facebook. Not everybody on the internet that says they're a Bible teacher is a Bible teacher. There's a fourth test. What does my church think about the message? Here we use uh, one another to help us discern things. This is what John means. If you look at verse 6, it says, We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The important thing here is, is the pronouns. The we, the us. We discern or, or, or recognize the truth mostly, betterly, in community, together as believers who gather for worship and instruction, not isolating ourselves from each other. Since we are to love one another, we got to be around one another. And being around one another helps us discern truth from error. So if you pull away from church, we can't love on you. If you pull away from church, you can't love on us. If you pull away from church, you will have difficulty discerning truth and error. See, verse 4 says, uh, um, we, we, we are of God. He's saying, as for us, in, 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 in contradistinction from the false teachers, out of God we are. We're not out of the world. And, and when it says, he that knoweth, that, that's progressive. right? He, it's, it's, it's the growing Christian, learning his knowledge. One, one, one commentary says, he who is habitually and evermore clearly perceiving and recognizing God as his Christian life unfolds. He that knoweth is one who keeps on getting acquainted with God, growing in his knowledge of God. That kind of person hears. This also means that the only way that you can properly hear from God is to be continually, consistently pressing into him, seeking his face, seeking fellowship with other believers. Otherwise, you can't be for sure it's God you're hearing from. Now, of course, John does not ignore um, Paul's teaching, really the Holy Spirit's teaching of Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love. The message 
may be the truth and it might be rejected, not because of the hearer's worldliness, but because it was wrongly delivered. It wasn't delivered with grace and compassion. In other words, they're not hearing the message might be because they're of the world, but they not hearing the message may, may, may also be because you were a jerk when you told them and it shut them down. Yes, we have to speak the truth, but it must be in love. Now let's, let's wrap this up. Let's, let's pull it together, all right? Testing the spirits is John's main thought here, but, but there's one, one, one gem here, which is verse 4 that I want to close with. I want to pull it all together with verse 4. Look at what it says. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. John states that the believer to whom to the believers to whom he is writing, they have overcome these false teachers. The verb is in the perfect tense, speaking of a past completed victory and a present state of still being a conqueror. That means that, that, that the believer uh, that John is referring to here, they, they haven't been taken in by the heresies of the false teachers. They're in a settled state of victory over them. And the reason that they've gained this complete victory over the false teachers and their heresies is because God himself, God the Holy Spirit, who indwells them, is greater than Satan or any of his fallen angels in the world system that might try to influence them. Now, that means for us, there is no reason to be afraid. No reason to be fearful. It says ye, in verse 4, ye are of God. And that's emphatic. The believers are set in strong contrast to the Antichrists. Believers are from God. They have overcome. They are overcomers. In this little book here, just... just a handful of chapters. The verb to overcome appears six times. That's more than any other New Testament book except the book of Revelation that has it like 17 times. Victory is a prominent theme in the book of 1 John. Now here the verb is in the perfect tense, uh, which shows that the victory that we have it's not a passing phase. It's decisive. It is continuing. You are continuing to continually have certain victory over false teaching because God the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, is indwelling you and he will allow you, he will give you the ability and the capacity to recognize truth and error. It's a simple reminder that we have nothing to fear. We have the capacity through the power of God to recognize things that contradict his word. God is greater and stronger and better than anything destructive that we might face. And he is in us, indwelling us, at home in us. So yeah, test the spirits. Make sure they line up with what the word of God says. But remember to test them from your position of victory. 
You're already overcomers. You already have the victory. Operate from that position and test, examine everything you hear, see, read, or think to make sure it lines up with the Word of God. Stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for the reliability, the immutability of your word. We thank you for its authority. We thank you for for you having inspired it for us. We thank you for the indwelling of your Holy Spirit, that spirit of truth that witnesses with our spirit, as we'll learn later on in this book. Thank you that we can know the truth, that we can recognize the destructive error. And thank you that you are greater, not only than us, but than anything else that would seek to give us influence. Father, help us again to fall in love with what your word says. Work in us that we live in our victory overcomers of the world and overcomers of error work in us both to will and to do of your good pleasure we pray in jesus name amen keith would you come ahead